good, guys. We are blessed. I mean, I, I'm just overwhelmed again. Just story after story, personal transformation, personal encounter, people getting healed on the streets, healed in chip shops, healed in supermarkets. This is happening in our church. I'm like, woo! Uh, so we're going to have another story that Nick's going to tell us. Hi, there was a couple of weeks ago, um, we were calling people forward, and there'd been a word about God's restoring eyesight. And uh, Katie, she's gone out with the kids, um, her mum came forward and uh, saying she was about to go to an appointment to the hospital. She'd got a cataract. She wore glasses, and that, that was fine. But the cataract had got really bad, and so in her left eye, she couldn't see at all. So she came forward, and, and I was there praying, and I really just felt this sweet sense of from God just to, to release. It wasn't a sort of mighty calling down the heavens prayer, but it really was just releasing something. And so I was there just, you know, mellow in the Lord and just sort of releasing and, and going for it. And suddenly she opened her eyes and said, wow, I can see. And uh, it was amazing. So her eyesight got, you know, back to her normal. And she was just so blessed. And then she said, oh, is it okay if I sit down? And <laughs> just here on the floor, which is really quite cold and hard, not the place you'd normally want to sit down. But she, uh, bless her, just said, can she sit down? And we're just sort of letting her enjoy God for a bit. And then Andy a bit later came over as well. And we, we heard afterwards that not only was her eyesight drastically improved, um, it's still a way to go, we're still believing for more, but significant, significant change. But she had such an encounter with God just uh, at the end of the meeting there. And she's just blown away more by a fresh encounter with God, actually, than what God did in healing her eyesight. So that was amazing. So good. Uh, same morning, uh, there was uh, someone who didn't come forward for prayer that we prayed for, had scoliosis. And I said, how bad's the pain out of, you know, naught to 10, which is what we do. She said, it's a nine. Just at the back there, we prayed, and it went to zero like that. Wow. That's so good. <laughs> so remember, when you hear a testimony, in it, there is a story that could happen for you. It's a prophecy about what God wants to do. So we've... We're just going to keep going for eyesight. We have eyesight issues all around this room, and, and we're believing we're going to see breakthrough. We're starting to see breakthrough with hearing. So if you've got eye problems, just put your hands on your eyes and take that testimony. Someone's sight cleared for you. Let it put faith inside you for that to happen for you. So Heavenly Father, just want to release fresh healing power in this room. New sight, clarity of sight where retinas have been damaged, where things are missing in the eye. We just speak creative miracles into people's eyes this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And Father, we know you want to do this. We know you love to do this. We're just going to keep going after it and keep believing that you are the God who gives sight to the blind, deaf ears open, blind eyes see, the dead are raised, lepers are healed, and the lame walk. And it's a sign that your loving, beautiful kingdom has showed up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you've got a back problem, you got any back problems? You don't, this is not word of knowledge. This is just lots of people have back problems. Just put your hand in the air. If you're near someone with a hand in the air, just put your hand on them. <coughs> we, we're going to save NHS Scotland millions by getting everybody's back healed. 
So just pray for them. Just declare healing. Command pain to leave. Normally we'd go for like checking it out, but check it out at the end because I don't, I don't want to rob any time off Jeremy this morning. So Father, yeah, we just thank you for what you're doing. So we are, we are once again, ha- it feels like treat season. So we have Andy Fulton preach. Barbara Jenkinson last week, amazing. This week we really have like super special treat. We've got Jeremy and Ann Simpkins with us. So we're so thrilled to have you guys. Uh, they're, they're dear friends. They carry a lot. They carry a lot of responsibility and they carry a lot of wisdom uh, and, and they've led this team now called Christ Central, which was North Team, many of you would be aware of, so well and so bravely over a number of years now. Through It's a challenge to lead a team of guys and many, many churches. So we're thrilled and privileged to have them. Let's welcome Jeremy. Thank you. Brilliant to be here. Thank you so much, Andy, for your welcome. Um, It is three and a half years since we were here. Uh, Last time we were here, we were laying hands on Andy and Nick for eldership here. You were kind of turned the other way around, and there was about half or probably even a third of you. Uh, So it's wonderful to see growth. It's wonderful to see another elder on board. And uh, we, did, we tried to persuade him the first time, but he took the step of faith the second time, which is great. God always gives you a second chance, which is wonderful. And it's great to see this team now growing. It's great to see the church growing. Wonderful. Last night was just such a blessing for us to hear story after story about God's breakout, uh, healing, deliverance, people being set free, people coming to know him. It's just wonderful what God is doing amongst you and it's so thrilling just to sense his presence in the worship and uh, just before I bring what I've I've actually asked Andy and uh, Nick particularly uh, talk to them about what I should bring and uh, what I'm going to bring is you may have heard me bring it before if you've been to North this last year but we feel it's particularly relevant for uh, you to get to know us a little bit and for us hopefully to minister to where you are but before we do that I've just got a couple of words that I feel God's put in my heart for you and just in the worship, I felt that God wants to take you through Acts chapter 2. And it's very interesting, it's very interesting what happens in Acts chapter 2. You start with a group that are slightly concerned, their saviour's been taken away, a little bit disillusioned actually, a little bit broken. A little bit, we thought it was going to be better than this. We thought there was going to be more of us than this. We're just this little fragmented group. Even our great leader gave in to a little slave girl and denied the faith. And, you know, we're a little bit beaten up. We're a little, we know Jesus is alive, we, but he's gone. And we're just waiting in obedience. And 
Through that chapter, you see remarkably how the Holy Spirit descends, fills, embodies, empowers that group. And then to see them break out of their upper room and to see at the end of that chapter, not only 3,000 people being saved, but the word of God spreading through the city, devoting themselves to the word, to the apostles' doctrine, to breaking of bread, to prayer, just to see that happening. And it says at the end of Acts chapter 2, and then they met publicly, and it talks about the meeting in uh, the temple courts, the temple gates. And I feel you're on a journey. You've been in an upper room. This is literally an upper room. It's literally uh, high above the city. It's, you started here a little bit disillusioned, a little bit broken, a little bit difficult. And yet God in this room, and in rooms like it, has powerfully met you by the Holy Spirit, transformed you, turned you around, and now it's time to break out into the city. Now it's time to get out of the upper room, actually. And I, I think that's a literal get out of the upper room. Uh, I mean, I submit that to the leaders here, but I think it's a literal getting out of the upper room. And I think it's a literal spilling out into the city into some temple courts. Now, I don't know what the temple courts look like for Glasgow, but you need to be somewhere visible, somewhere accessible, somewhere where people can physically see you and get to you. And I'm believing that this empowering of the Spirit is going to result in thousands being saved and the Word of God spreading through this city and beyond here. That's the first thing to say. <laughs> The, the, second, the second thing to say is that it's just an observation from church history, and that is that movements are categorized by lots of different things, but one of the things that movements are particularly categorized with and through, down through church history, is their sound, their music, their worship. And that's what happens in every revival, that there's a new sound that comes, there's a new authenticity Songs are being written, sounds are being heard, and interestingly, often it's the, the worship and the songs that go round the world, often before ministries, often even before uh, mission, is the, somehow the songs get around. And I just feel God wants to do that here. Now, last, the other night, I had the privilege of just listening to and watching the MP3, the, sorry, it's the EP that you've done uh, online, and just watching that, I felt something shift in my heart, that something's going to happen here in terms of worship. And I want to encourage you guys, where's the musicians? If, if you're a musician in this church, and you regularly are involved with worship in any shape or form, would you just stand up? We really want to honor you guys. There's a real sense that you guys are going out before the army. Now, some churches would love to send their musicians out before the army. <laughs> this movement would love to send you out because we believe there's some spiritual authority invested in the worship of Jesus, in the loving of God, in the declaration of his kingdom. And there's a real anointing on you. I want to prophesy over you that fresh sounds, fresh expressions of worship will spring up from this place. New songs that will go around the world. I want to prophesy there'll be a sound of Glasgow. There'll be a sound of hope. There'll be a sound of this church, which will go around the world. And we honor your gifting. 
We honour the fact that God has given it to you. We honour the fact that you work hard in serving us, honing your craft. And we honour your sensitivity in worship. Just last night, as we gathered with your leaders, some of you were there, what struck me more than anything, and I was so empowered by the prophecies and the testimonies, the stories, but actually what struck me more than anything was the presence of God in the worship as we worshipped. And I believe that it's going to go before you into situations and break things open. So you guys are so crucial. You're so important. You're so valued. You're so honoured in this place. Let's just applaud them, shall we? Amen. If you've got a Bible, I wonder if you could turn to the second book of Corinthians. As charismatics, we tend to get stuck in the first book of Corinthians, which I absolutely love with all my heart. But it's important that we look at the second book of Corinthians as well, because as Paul is writing again to this church that he founded, this church that he planted, there's been some issue, there's been some division, there's been some difficulties, and Paul is sharing which is quite unusual for Paul, his credentials for ministry. And when we know a little bit about Paul, who he studied under, what experiences he had, the fact that he was caught up to the third heaven, that things have been revealed to him, mysteries from God, it's going to be ever so interesting to see what Paul puts as his credentials, to see how he boasts, to see how he says, no, follow me because of this, follow me because of what God's doing in me. It's going to be interesting to see what that happens, read through, if you're interested in apostolic ministry and apostolic breakthrough, read through the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a fascinating insight into Paul's heart and Paul's mission. Let's have a read into chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And we're going to look particularly at verses 7 to 10. To keep me becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And just have a look in chapter 13 and verse 4. And I think uh, Paul was an Irishman. He starts off. For to be sure, <laughs> that goes down much better in Ireland. <laughs> I can't read that now without thinking of an Irishman. For to be sure, he, that's Jesus, was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, just the same. We are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him to serve you. Father, I want to ask you that this word 
would do that, serve these dear people here in Glasgow. I want to thank you for hope. Lord, thank you for all that you've done in these last few years. Lord, thank you that you're taking them out of the upper room and you're going to take them into the temple courts. Thank you, Lord, that the result of the filling and the baptism and the immersion and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is multitudes brought to Christ. Many people saved and added. We are believing, Lord, for growth and breakthrough anointing in this church. We thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Now come upon us by the Spirit, Lord. Please empower us. Please help us to understand your word. Let it not just be ancient documents. We believe it's the living and active word of God which speaks to us today. Come Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know uh, the context that you've grown up in, but quite often in a Christian context, it's not good to be seen to have weaknesses. We tend to hide our weaknesses. We tend to mask our weaknesses. We tend to put on masks when we're in religious meetings. How are you? I'm fine. How's life? Great. No worries. No problems. No difficulties. And we mask truth. We mask reality. We mask often what's really going on in our lives. And the truth is this, if you are a Christian, you will have trouble. You will have difficulty. Jesus promises you that. It's not one of the promises of Jesus that we like to prophesy over one another and encourage one another with. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And that's what happened in the early church. They encountered persecutions and difficulties and problems. And let me prophesy over you. If you think, you know, actually, Life is sunny. Life is fine. Life is good. I've got no troubles in the world at all. It's all happy. It's all great. Let me prophesy to you, the more you encounter the Spirit, the more He comes upon you, the more opposition you'll hit, the more difficulties you'll encounter. If you are not in trouble now, don't worry. One's coming your way. Don't feel left out. Don't feel insecure. Just feel prepared. Now, let me just say, this is not, I'm not talking about an excuse for sin here. Please hear this very loudly. Oh, that little drinking problem I've got, that's my little weakness. People say that, don't they? Oh, that little internet habit, that's my little weakness. I am not, not, not talking about sin. I am not giving you an excuse for sin. The Bible gives us a theology for sin, that we are dead to it, and that we can say no to it. And we do not need to live in it any longer. So this is not an excuse for lazy, weak Christians to sin. I came across this proverb a few months ago, which kind of helped me a lot. All scripture is profitable. This proverb says this, Proverbs 24, verse 16. A righteous man falls seven times, yet rises again. It's the righteous man falls over. The righteous man trips up. The righteous woman has difficulties. The righteous woman stumbles and falls over. And yet, she doesn't lie on the floor and say, I'm a miserable person. They get up again. Okay? Seven in the Bible doesn't just mean six plus one. There's a sense of completion, a sense of carrying on, caught up. Seventh heaven. Talks about seven spirits. All sorts of, if you look at seven in the Bible, there's all sorts of sevens which are kind of important. And it just means, don't worry if you trip up. Don't worry if you fall over. Don't worry if you have weaknesses. What is this thorn in the flesh? Now, great theologians have argued long and hard 
what the thorn of the flesh is, and I'm not going to reveal it to you today, because I don't know what it is either. In fact, I'm actually rather pleased we don't know what it was, because if we knew exactly what Paul's thorn was, because we're all unique and different, we go, oh yeah, that was just Paul's thorn. I haven't got that, therefore I haven't got weaknesses. No, actually, we've all got them. Some theologians think it might have been a physical thing for Paul. Some theologians think Paul had an eyesight problem, possibly because of malaria. When he goes to Galatia for the first time, it says, I was with you because of an illness. But I don't know what that means. He had to stop off somehow because of a weakness, because of an illness. And he said, about them, he said, and you would have plucked your own eyes out for me. I mean, if, if I wrote, if I tweeted and said, great time at Hope Church, they would have plucked their own eyes out for me. <laughs> now, that would have been weird, unless you knew that I had an eye problem. And that actually you'd have said, if, you, if I, you could have my eyes, I'd give them to you. Maybe, that was it. Some theologians think it was a physical thing. The hint here, this was a spiritual issue. It calls it a messenger of Satan. That's a pretty spiritual issue, I think. Some people think it was just the persecutions, the hardships. If you look in context, if you've still got 2 Corinthians open, just look back to the previous chapter, because Paul, in verse 10 of chapter 12, talks about insults, hardships, persecutions and difficulties. I think that's really what it was. But if you look back in the previous chapter, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the great, anointed, incredible missionary. This is how he describes his life. I don't think this will be a great biography on the back of a book. You know, you got on the fly jacket, you get a little biography of what the person's done. Well, this will be Paul. In chapter 11 and verse 23. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death and again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods and I was once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been danger from rivers. Danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's who Paul was. I think some of the thorn in the flesh is taken up with that. Some people say that it was a person. It may have been a metaphor. It may have been a figure of speech. If I say, Lizzie, in Manchester, I've got a real pain in the neck. You probably wouldn't think I needed to visit a chiropractor. You'd probably think it was a person. Because in our colloquial language, pain in the neck often means a person. So some people think it might be the Judaizers, the guys who were going around persecuting Paul, saying, you don't need to listen to this guy, you need to add all the Jewish laws to the gospel. Some people think with that. It was certainly these super apostles that were about in Corinth saying, follow us, we don't have any weaknesses like Paul. We don't have any struggles like Paul. We have greater revelations. We have greater power. Not like this dull apostle. We don't really know what the thorn in the flesh was. I read a book by R.C. Kendall entitled Thorn in the Flesh. I thought, great, I'll find out what it is. He doesn't know what it is either. And he was the successor of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pause for genuflex, from <laughs> Westminster Chapel. He said it could be any of these things. 
And there were some really interesting things on the list. If you want, read the book. It's fascinating. He says it could be loneliness, bad employment, an enemy, a handicap, a disability, an unhappy home, a sexual misgiving, not sin. He hastens to add. An unhappy marital situation, a chronic illness, a personality problem, a financial struggle, or even an unwanted calling. He said any of those could be construed to be like a thorn in the flesh, a weakness, a vulnerability, something that's uncomfortable to you. Whatever it is, it's something that you haven't yet seen breakthrough in. It's something that you haven't yet. In fact, this is what it's like for you. You can't get breakthrough in that area, but even the people you pray for seem to get breakthrough in that area. Everywhere around you, everyone's getting breakthrough in that area. They're all having testimonies about that area, and for you, you can't break through in that area. But you're successful in every other area. Faith is working for you in lots of different... It's not like you're an ineffective Christian, but in some area... You've got a thorn in the flesh. In some area, there's an area of weakness and vulnerability for you. And the temptation is for you to get frustrated, to get exasperated, even angry or feel guilty or revert to fear or unbelief. And I believe today God wants to give you some help in handling your weakness and allow him to turn your weakness to strength. Just some personal testimony here for you to get to know us a little bit. Some of you don't know us well, and the problem is you know us now when we inhabit stages and platforms and write articles and tweets and all those stuff. We are really weak, Anne and I. You know, we've, we've been through some real vulnerability. Uh, we first got married. We've been married this year. We've been married 30 years. <coughs> And it is worth celebrating. I was 20 when I got married. It is worth celebrating. Just you think I'm really old. Uh, actually, I really am old. <laughs> Thank you, Jan. It's great when we've got so many young guys and girls in our church. We get to, you know, I still feel about 28. That's what I, you know, that's, that's what I feel. And I'm starting to talk to them. And I suddenly realize that their parents are younger than us. And it goes, <laughs> you go, oh, my goodness, how do you view us? Well, they view us as mums and dads, actually, in the faith. And so to provoke and stir and release them. Anyway, we got married in 1983, as you can work the maths out, and uh, we wanted to start a family pretty quickly, pretty uh, early days, and uh, first few years, we started to try for a family, and very soon realized that there was a difficulty, there was a problem, we didn't seem to naturally be able to have children. We did the normal thing, which is obviously to pray, uh, and then go to the doctor. John Wimber used to say, if you've got a headache, take an aspirin and pray. And I believe that was a great... Uh, value in honoring what God does through medicine, but also what God does through faith and prayer and healing. And for me, they're not two separate things. Like Andy said earlier, God doesn't have natural and supernatural. He just has normal. And normal is to be healed and to be set free. And so we believed that and thought that would happen for us. And we consulted doctors. They prodded, probed, operated on, tested. You really don't want to know uh, what they did. Uh, and they found nothing. They could find no reason why Anne and I could not have children. So we thought, that's fine, we'll keep trying. And in those days, in the early 1980s, mid-80s, every conference you went to, there was a call for infertility. Every conference. I mean, you don't hear it anymore, actually, because these days probably we've got more medical advances. 
uh, probably more IVF. We didn't have that in those days. They were just starting to experiment with it. And we felt slightly uncomfortable with some of the experimentation they were doing. And we didn't feel to go for that method. God bless those who've done that. We didn't feel to do that. But we responded in every conference. This is what happened. The first time you respond, this is Jeremy and Anne, the bright young leaders. We were once bright and young. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> depends on your perspective, Nick. <laughs> Uh, uh, but I'm with you. Um, and we, we responded at every, every, literally every meeting that there was a call. We made a deliberate decision. We weren't going to hide this. We were going to walk through it publicly. However painful it was, however difficult it was, we were going to let our weaknesses be seen. And we were going to be vulnerable before people. So we responded at every meeting. So the first meeting we go to, I think it was a John Wimber meeting, I think, in 84, 85, that sort of thing. Get to the front. Here we are, God's going to meet us. And every leader, all the new frontiers, big wigs, all want to pray for us. Because this is Jeremy and Anne, this is a young, bright couple coming through, emerging through. Let's pray for them. They get, ha- they get hands laid and think, great. Next year we come, there's a call again for infertility. Guess who hasn't had a baby this year? Although everyone else who was prayed for now got their little babies. We haven't. So we're at the front. And that time it was kind of like other leaders, you know, sort of contemporaries of us and you know a few of them came and prayed for us next year we're still there everyone else has their little babies we don't and uh, it's a few friends who pray for us and by the end of it we're just stuck there on our own nobody's praying for us at all because who wants to associate themselves with failure who wants to associate themselves with weakness who wants to touch what god isn't blessing and that's how you can feel now our story is we haven't had children. God has graced us not to have children. And that's been God's blessing and God's plan for us. Actually, we have more children all over the world, people who call us mum and dad, than if we just had natural children. And God has blessed us in that. But we stand before you weak. It's still weak. We have baby thanksgivings at our church every year. We've got so many babies in the church. Anne and I choose not to go to that meeting, actually because we protect one another from some of our feelings, and that's okay. We're walking vulnerably. We're walking, our leaders know, the church knows. I talk about it, not every week. Hi, I'm Jeremy, I can't have kids. (laughs) We don't talk about it like that, but we do talk about it. We do have vulnerability. And then last year, some of you will know our story. Uh, Last year, um, it, it was one of those phone calls late at night. I don't know if you've ever had those phone calls, uh, sort of 10, 11 o'clock at night, when the landline rings, the house phone. You know, guys, there is a house phone. Uh, there is a landline that you can get in. Not everything is mobile. And, you know, it's when the house phone rings, when the landline rings, you know there's difficulty, especially at night. And it was my dad uh, to say that my sister, I'm uh, just one of two uh, children from my parents, uh, have one sibling, Joanna just to say that your sister has suffered a massive brain hemorrhage and uh, she's not likely to live the night. She's not likely to survive. They say that it's of a severity that it will probably take her life uh, this night and we want you to know and we want you to pray. And uh, how do you handle that news? Uh, I mean, I love Joanna dearly. Uh, We uh, fought as cats and dogs as children uh, but have grown up to deeply love and respect uh, one another. Joanna's married. Loves the Lord, goes to uh, a renewed Anglican church in the city, in the town where she lives, 
uh, with three young children, all girls, twins of uh, eight they were then, and a little one of five, as she was then. And suddenly you, you hear this, what do you do with that? What happens with that now? As the night and day unfolded, the next day they rushed her to a specialist hospital. They thought that she would die. She didn't, praise God. She was rushed to a specialist hospital in London where they did a series of operations on the brain, probably doing more damage to the brain by doing the operations to stop the bleeding than by the bleeding itself. But necessity to do that. And God's hand was on that. I'll tell you a little bit more about the story later, but how do you deal with that? Literally, the next day I was up in the church leading the meeting, leading worship. How do you handle that? Well, let me tell you, my theory is this. I have never felt so close to the Lord as in that meeting. I've been in some pretty spectacular meetings. I went to Toronto in 94 when it was all kicking off and some spectacular things were happening physically wonderful healings, manifestations, all the sort of things that actually you're seeing now. And, uh, you know, but actually it was at that point, and that was Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because I've got my fingers crossed because I know a few verses. No, because you are with me. And it was the presence of Jesus. It was the love of the Father. It was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that I felt almost enveloped me. And it was like a bubble of protection around me for those times. And I just want to share with you this morning just some of the things that we've learned through this. And then we're going to pray for one another because we've all got weaknesses <laughs> and we've all got vulnerabilities. And God wants to turn weaknesses into strength. Number one, God is sovereign. I believe that with all my heart. I don't understand it with all my head, but I believe it with all my heart. Three times, Paul says, I pleaded to the Lord. Where does Paul go when he's in difficulty? He doesn't just go to his brothers and sisters. He doesn't just go to his study. I'm sure he did all that as well. But he went to the Lord. He pressed in to the Lord. He knew that this was a satanic attack, a messenger from Satan. But he knows that it's the Lord who has power. The Lord who rules. He doesn't just say, I'm under spiritual attack. Please pray for me. He doesn't say, I'm under the circumstances. Please pray for me. I'm having a difficult time in my ministry. Please, he goes to the Lord. I want to encourage you. Whatever your difficulty is, whatever your weakness is, whatever you're facing, who do you run to? Actually, do you run to the anointed man with the power? Or do you run to the Lord? Now, the Lord will probably work through the anointed man with the power or the anointed woman with the power. But who do you actually run to? Who do you run to? We run to the Lord. These things are not given to drive us to despair. Actually, in his mercy, God allows us to go through these things to drive us to him. It's so important we understand the, the uh, theology of the sovereignty of God. A, a lady called Margaret Clarkson wrote a great book called Grace Grows Best in Wintertime. <laughs> and her whole premise was it's actually when you go through difficulties that you encounter God more. And this is what she said about the sovereignty of God. It's such a great quote. The sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of the evil one, but that evil is still held firmly under the mighty hand of a sovereign God. All evil is subject to him and cannot touch his children unless he permits it. And God is the Lord of human history 
and of the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. In the 1980s, in 1987, there was a great storm. You might just call it a passing wind, but for us in the south, where's Fiona? Is Fiona here? Fiona Erka. Do you remember the, the great storm of 87? <laughs> um, it, it swept through the south, didn't it, you know, of England, and uh, you may think we deserved it, and uh, we probably did, but actually lots of things happened in the great storm of 87. Actually, lots of people lost their lives. In my hometown, Hastings, several people, I think about seven or eight people, lost their lives that night in the storm. Uh, just up the road between, uh, literally up the road between Hastings and where you were in Bromley was a town called Seven Oaks, which became One Oaks overnight because all their big oaks came down. And in the town where we live, we have a beautiful park, Alexandra Park. It's, about th it's one of the most attractive things about Hastings. I won't go into Hastings, but it's one of the most attractive things. And it, it's a lovely park with specimen trees from all over the world in a quite temperate valley with its own sort of microclimate. What happened when the great storm of 87 swept in? All the specimen trees, all these great trees that looked so mighty, that looked... They were just specimens. They were just wonderful, taken from all over the world. Every single one of those went down. And Anne and I have got the pictures of these great pines, these great oaks and ashes, all sorts of big trees down like ninepins because this great storm, this great hurricane, this great wind swept in. Yeah, crushing cars. It was, just, it was, a it was amazing. If you just go slightly outside of Hastings, there's a place called Dungeness. Uh, Romney Sands and Dungeness, and it's basically a big shingle outcrop, and uh, it, 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 it's such, it's not the most attractive place on planet Earth. In fact, when they built Dungeness Power Station there, nobody complained, they actually thought it made the view slightly better. <laughs> but in Dungeness, it's a flat piece of land that's just exposed to the wind all the time, and there are lots of trees there, but they're really gnarled trees. They're not the most attractive trees. They're not great specimens in parks. And generally, they lean with the prevailing wind, with their sort of gnarled expressions. Do you know how many of those went down in the great storm of 87? None. Because they clung to the rock. They knew what it was to hold on through troubles daily. For them, it wasn't the great wind of 87. They had the great wind all the time <laughs> because they were always exposed to the elements. Now, listen change the metaphor slightly it's not we hold on to God actually the truth is he holds on to us his sovereignty is anchoring us his Jesus said no one will pluck you from my hand why can no one pluck you from Jesus's hand because you are his hand you are the body of Christ no one can take you from him and it's actually during difficulties during tragedies during problems that you know that you're rooted into him. As it says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 19, God's solid foundation stands firm. Second point, God always has a reason. Paul's case, it's to keep me from being conceited. I don't know what your reason is. I don't know what our reason is. I don't know why we've gone through difficulties. <laughs> I don't think we've had the great revelations that Paul has had. I don't know, I don't understand, but I do know with this, it's easier to live with something if you know God has a purpose for it. And I'm convinced that every difficulty we encounter will be seen to have a divine purpose. We just may not see it in this life. 
And actually, to be honest with you, by the time we get to heaven and do see it, it won't be that important anyway, because we'll be so caught up with him, it'll become a slightly irrelevant. But I do know this. It will almost certainly produce an empathy in us and a sympathy in us and an understanding in us for others. We're hurting for others, actually. It's actually very divine. Jesus was hurt for us. And actually, we are hurt. We do suffer. And it tenderizes our heart to others. This is what Paul again says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. The God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. It's as you go through these things that immediately all over the world, when we find a couple who are struggling with infertility, our hearts are there. We're there praying for them. We've prayed with so many Hadkins churches as well, which is quite weird. <laughs> quite annoying, actually, but, <laughs> but quite weird. But actually, a great blessing. The truth is, we may never really know it, but I do know this. It's for God's glory. The disciples once brought, or it wasn't the disciples, actually. Others brought a man to Jesus and said, who sinned? This man? It was a blind man. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Somebody must have sinned. It must be his fault. And Jesus said, nothing, neither. This is for the glory of God. Every difficulty we go through, God will have some glory in it. And secondly, I genuinely believe it will be for our good. God disciplines those he loves. He allows the sons and daughters that he loves to go through troubles and go through difficulties. I don't believe Romans 8:28, all things work together for good for those who love him and according to, called, called according to his purpose, is a poster we put up with a cuddly hippo. Have you seen those Christian posters? I want to rip them down. And there's a cuddly, I hope you haven't got one on your wall, but a cuddly hippopotamus, or in a hippopotamus in a bath with a shower cap on, and a, you know, and it says on the bottom, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Listen, that's not some trite saying. That's robust, full of truth and power and authority. All things work together for good for us, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's who we are, beloved of God and called according to his purpose. Number three, God always provides all we need. My power, Paul says, or rather God says, but Paul wrote it, my power is made perfect in weakness. It's actually in the weakness, dear friends, it's actually in the trouble, in the difficulty that we receive grace. Grace isn't like your pension plan where you can save up for a rainy day. It's not like you put grace in the bank and then draw down on it later. Grace is available at the time of need. All grace, all his riches, all. Let me give you some verses. 2 Corinthians again, 9 verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all time, having all you need, you'll better abound in every good work. 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us approach God's throne of grace that we may find grace to help us in time of need. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in time of trouble. Back to my story with my sister, uh, after having gone through quite a troubled night, 
I woke in the morning and the first thing I do every day is read a passage of his word. Do you know what? I didn't feel like reading anything from the Bible that morning. I didn't, had no feelings at all about the Bible. I'm so pleased that I have some discipline. I'm so pleased that I have some order, some structure in my life. I'm so pleased that I have a routine, that I daily read from his word. Because my daily reading that day was one of the most phenomenal psalms to help you in time of trouble. It was just coincidental that it happened to be that morning, but it was the most magnificent psalm. And if you're in trouble, you can read this psalm for yourself. It's Psalm 91, which just talks about being in his shelter, being in his shadow of his wing, about him protecting you, that no harm is going to come to you. And there was a little phrase in it, which interestingly enough, came in my daily readings twice over the next two days. So literally the next two days, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, the next days, the same phrase, and it's this phrase, it's Psalm 91, verse 16, with long life I will satisfy. And I immediately felt him, the Lord, speaking to me about my sister. Now that psalm isn't about Joanna, but it is for me. And it was that day for me, for her. And he takes his word and he applies it to you. The word isn't just cold, dry theology. It's living, breathing, speaking, active. It's his word. It, because, do you know what? It's him. It is actually him. The word of God, as you know this, the word of God isn't uh, black dots on a white page off your really spiritual some red dots in there. The word is Jesus. He is the word. He's the word of God. And Jesus, this is a love letter from him to me. It's the Father speaking by the Spirit all about who I am in Christ and all about his plans and purposes for me. So when I received that that day, I knew. I knew she was going to live. I knew before phone calls came that she was going to live, that she would survive. Now, Joanna is not fully healthy to this day, but she is living. And it's really interesting how two weeks later, I won't go into the reasons why, but for, for some reason, we weren't able to visit her. Not our reasons. We, we were, were not allowed to visit her, literally. And two weeks later, she was in a coma still, and we'd held on to this with long life, I'll satisfy you. Going to believe it. And uh, two weeks later, Anne and I went to the hospital where Joanna was in intensive care. I have never seen such intensive care. I've never experienced such professional, excellent care. Do you know what? The National Health Service... Yeah, when you need it, the point of care, when you really need it, it's amazing. And I'm so grateful for uh, doctors and nurses and those who are caring for my sister, expressing real love and compassion. Actually, some of them interested enough questions. And uh, we, as we got into that ward, as we walked into that ward, the doctors and nurses started to explain to us what Joanna would look like. That you know, this is a girl who's been through a major head trauma. You know, her face will be all distended. She'll have her head all shaved. I've seen, I've, I'm a pastor, I've been into hospital, I, I know what that's like. And do you know what? I could see Joanna the moment I walked in, and I didn't see someone with a head injury. I saw my sister, who I loved. And I, for me, I didn't, it wasn't about what state she was in, it was about that she was alive and God was with her. And as we started to talk to the doctors and nurses, literally out loud, she started to stir from the coma from the very first time. Now, doctors tell you that it's because I was the first family member that had been able to visit Joanna. 
and the first, her husband had been over to visit, but they'd only been married a few years, but so her voice resonating in Joanna's, his voice resonating in Joanna's subconscious was only a few years old. My annoying brother's voice, she's my younger sister, she's known my voice all her life, and suddenly this annoying brother's voice, but I believe it was so much more than that, as we were sharing with Andy and Teresa yesterday, there's a spiritual authority, there's something about who we are in God, there's something about the kingdom invading secular space, there's something about heaven coming to earth, and as we did that, Joanna started to stir, the moment that happened, you, and these are all coincidences, aren't they? No, thank you Jan, they're not, right, the moment, the moment that happened, the mo- literally that was happening, that no visitors for two weeks, right, the moment that happens, Joanna's curate comes in, right? Isn't that spooky? It's exactly the same time, exactly as it's happening, and she's there. We pr- start to pray over Joanna, and the curate says, uh, God's really spoken to me for Joanna, and I want to read this over her, and she starts to read Psalm 91 <laughs> over Joanna. And as we're doing that, Joanna's stirring from her coma and starting to come out. Now, the result of that is it's taken weeks and months from that. That was 18 months ago, but Joanna is now very compartmentous in her mind, very able to understand all that's going on. She's able to speak and to communicate. In fact, interesting that she's still wheelchair-bound. She still has the appearance of a stroke victim with an arm and a leg that are dysfunctional. We're believing God that that's going to be healed and that she'll walk again. I've got some promises for God. I won't go into those, but I've got some, something in my armory for that that I'm working on. But it's interesting, as Anne and I went to visit her in the hospital in Canterbury, where she was then transferred to near her, her home, she'd been able to say a few yes and no words. She, for, for, for a couple of months, she hadn't been able to speak at all, because she had a tracheostomy, tracheostomy in, a trachea in, and wasn't able to speak. It was one of those that you couldn't speak with. Uh, but once they took that out, she was able to say a few yeses and nos, hadn't said any words other than yes and nos. And Anne and I went in. And again, there's something about authority, there's something about who we are in God, who we are, not us special, who we are in God. As we go into that, Anne just takes hold of Joanna's hand, and she says to Joanna, and it was a real compassionate moment, Anne wasn't trying to be clever. <laughs> we don't do clever. <laughs> she, she, she says, oh, Joe, she says, God is good. And Joe says, all the time. <laughs> and, 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 and Anne went, all the time? And Joanna said, God is good. Amazingly, she starts to, the first words are about that. Now, since then, she's been able to play the piano. <laughs> I told this story in my church, and one of my young guys' kids said, could she play it before? <laughs> and I said, no, it's a miracle. <laughs> I said, yes, she could play before, but she can now play. We took her up, we took her up to the uh, hospital lounge, the hospital, um, what do you call that, chapel. And uh, she was able to play the piano. We sang choruses. We worshipped together. The part of the brain that's damaged for Joe is she can't speak very well, but she can sing. And she can sing all her favorite hymns and songs and choruses. She can also sing all her favorite musicals. We did a little trick on her. We said, can you sing this? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And she, she was able literally to sing all that, but she couldn't speak it. It was absolutely bizarre to see how the brain is worked. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, dear friends. God is sovereign. God is working out. God will always provide all we need. Number four, God gives strength to the weak. For my power, Paul says, 
or God says through Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. From when I am weak, then I am strong. That's consistent with biblical truth. Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Psalm 18, verse 32. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. I believe it's God's very heart to give strength to those who know they're weak. In fact, it seems that there was almost a bias in God to choose the weak. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12. God has chosen the weak to shame the strong. Why is it that so many Christians seem to have so many weaknesses? I'll tell you why. It's because when we're weak and we start to move in strength, it displays that this is not of ourselves, it's from God. He empowers weak people. The aim is that we don't stay weak, the aim is that we move in power. But he empowers weak people. Admitting that you are weak is not a weakness, it's a strength. <laughs> Say, I'm weak, actually I'm weak, I'm vulnerable in that area, I'm weak in this. Actually, you're just about to receive power, which is my last and final point. But I'm called to boast about it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that you can go, what a pathetic, weak man he is. No, so that you don't stay weak, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Uh, it's interesting, the context of this, it's about people boasting about their ministry, their gifting. You hear it all the time today. Unfortunately, even in movements that we're associated with, it's all what I call the ABC, attendance, buildings, church plants. You know how many we've got in our church now? And suddenly you can feel, oh, we haven't got that many in ours. Do you know how big our building is today? Do you know how many churches we've planted? We haven't planted any. And if you're not careful, we can boast in things. That was an important, dear friends. We need a much broader definition of success. I love what Andy and Teresa were sharing with us last night. They said, in this church, or you can find out if this is true or not, in this church, we, we celebrate courage, not just answers. He said, you know, we'll even tell stories when we've shared the gospel or prayed for the sick and nothing's happened. Why? Because we're celebrating God's success. We're celebrating courage. We're celebrating stepping out. We're not just saying, chalking up another one as if it's some numerical gain. We're chalking up growth in God. We're chalking up weak people becoming strong and becoming successful in God. Paul doesn't defend himself by saying, my miracles are better than the super apostles. You know, my, my I've had more revelations, don't you know? He doesn't defend himself. He says, actually, I'm weak. And in my weakness, I'm receiving more of God's strength. They're displaying human strength. And it's ver they're very strong. They're very good. I'm really weak. I'm actually displaying God's strength. And I think over the years, the challenge gets bigger. The challenge gets harder. The more successful you get, the easier it is to slip into what I've done. As if you've done it, you idiot. You're only a weak person that God's got hold of. If you'd known me in my 20s, you couldn't have done you, you think, what a weak guy. Think what an in, imperfect, you know, pathetic. If you know me now, you probably think that. But it's because it, it's not our achievements. It's not what Andy and Teresa Pierce, you know, we went to the Pacific Coast, caught a bear. We, we, we got there looking for bear. And, you know, it's 
people. No, no, it's, it's, not about, it's not about human strength. It's not about human qualifications, human abilities. This is about grace in weakness. This is about people who were weak who are now strong in God. The aim is not to stay weak. The aim is to move into strength, but it must be seen to be God's strength and not our strength. So that we can say with 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're still jars of clay. We're still, as somebody once said, cracked pots. <laughs> we, know, we are. We're just jars of clay indwelt by glory. <clears throat> what does that verse say? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is not about our power, our ability. This is about God's ability in us and who we are in him that we can do things. So you get this amazing chapter in Joel, chapter 2, about the Holy Spirit being poured out. In Acts chapter 2, of course, Paul, Peter refers to that as the basis of the Holy Spirit's anointing. The next chapter in Joel, chapter 3, verse 10, says, let the weak say, I am strong. Okay? You don't stay weak. You actually move from weakness to strength. But it's in the understanding that you're weak in yourself that you can receive the Spirit's empowerment. It's the Spirit who brings this empowerment. Last verse, Hebrews 11, 32 to 34. I don't have time, and I don't have time either. <laughs> I don't have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or David or Samuel and the prophets, those who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword. Wow, these must be mighty people. No, the writer says, those whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Dear friends, it's acceptable to have weaknesses. It's allowable to have weaknesses. Be who you are. Don't pretend to be somebody else. But don't stay there. Allow God's Spirit to come on you and anoint you and empower you and change and turn your weakness into strength so that people might look at you and say, that girl again at Asda, it's that crazy woman again. You know, you know, Cat, sorry, not Cat Jan. She, she must be so powerful. Actually, they don't. They say, her, Jan, must be God then, because <laughs> it's not her. I've met her. <laughs> and do you know what? That brings great glory to God. We're not looking for super apostles. We're not looking for super men and super women. We're looking for people who are supernatural, people who are anointed by the Spirit, whose weakness is turned to strength. Dear friends, we've got just a few moments left. If you are struggling with an area of weakness, if you today would say, do you know what, I feel I've got a thorn in the flesh. We're not going to ask you what it is. We didn't even know what Paul's is. We're not interested in what yours is necessarily. I mean, we are interested in you, but we're not going to ask you what it is. If you feel, I've got a thorn in the flesh, I've got a weakness that I haven't yet seen a breakthrough in, that I'm still struggling with, the answer is for us to pray with you and for the Father in heaven 
to send forth his spirit to empower you and to fill you and to turn your weakness into strength, to clothe you with power. Gideon, when he has this angelic encounter, the angel says to him, go in strength. And Gideon says, I'm, I'm pathetic. I'm the weakest. I'm the least in my family. And then it says, the spirit of the Lord clothed him with power. And he went and faced Israel. What changed? The spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Turned a weak man into a powerful leader. God's going to come on you. If that's you, dear friend, without any further ado or ceremony or spooky music or anything that's going to lull you, why don't you just stand? Why don't you just say, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm weak. That's just me. See what, see, see what good company we're in. Isn't it releasing? Isn't it releasing? Now, what we're going to do, I'm just going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does best, which is to clothe you with power to come upon you. And if you are near these dear friends, these dear people, even, even maybe if you're standing, that's fine as well, uh, because you can both receive and give at the same time. It's a wonderful privilege of being uh, members of Christ's body. The, 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 the anointing flows through us and to others all the time. So why don't you just lay hands on people, and as I pray, we're going to ask for a clothing of power now, an authority from heaven to turn weakness into strength. Now come, Lord. Lord, we confess our weakness before you. We say, Lord, we really are jars of clay. Lord, we really are those who have thorns in the flesh. We really are those who weak in ourselves. But Lord, we know that you don't want us to stay there. We know, Lord, that you've given us. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. James says, when you have weakness, welcome it as a friend. Why? Because we might receive the strength of God. Now, in Jesus' name, we receive the strength of God. We receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We receive power from on high. We really are an upper room here being clothed with power from on high and weak disciples are going to be turned into mighty apostles, are going to be turned into a movement that's going to shake cities and shake nations. Why? Because the Spirit of God turned weakness into strength. The Spirit of God came upon us. Now, dear Holy Spirit, wonderful Holy Spirit, come, empower, fill, minister. Just let the love of God come to you. Just let the grace of God wash all over you, well up in you. He loves you so much that he's allowed you to have this weakness so that you might receive more of his grace, so that you might receive more of his power, so that you might receive more strength. He loves you enough to allow you to have gone through this in your family, in your body, in your business. He loves you enough to now fill you with his Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is shed abroad in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Just start to receive the Holy Spirit. Now start to pray for one another, minister to one another, that we might receive strength and power from the Spirit. Come.
says I love weak people I love people who acknowledge that in them dwells no good thing but in their flesh in their ability they can't do it I love those people sister Liz because I cooperate I work with I empower I clothe and I can demonstrate I'm calling you Hope Church more and more to be a demonstration of weak people who are clothed with extraordinary power, extraordinary strength. And people, when they get in here, they get under the skin, they'll go, you're just ordinary. And you'll go, yeah, we are. But we're clothed with extraordinary power. And we know it's nothing to do with us. We know it's not our ability. And therefore, we're more and more receivers of grace. We're more and more receivers of power. We don't operate just out of our strategic brain cells that are thinking <laughs> it through. We're operating out of obedience to the Spirit. We're doing what the Father does, and we're going where He says, and we'll, we'll just go without thought sometimes. We'll go without provision sometimes, and in the going, we'll find provision. In the doing, we'll find the Spirit gives us the words to say. We'll invade that chip shop with the presence of God. We'll go into that council setting. We'll go into that estate. We'll go into that rich home where we feel inadequate, but by the grace of God, we'll speak words of power and healing. Now come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. receive your presence, receive your spirit right now, that we become empowered, <coughs> the significant people you've called us to be. So wonderful. I'll just take two things, distended, somebody's got a distended something, God wants to heal it, I don't know what, that obviously goes with something else, I don't know what the something else is, but if you've got a distended something, God wants to, is healing you this morning, and, and this could be connected, some sort of pain, in internal issue, not a muscle issue, on right side, lower abdomen, God, God wants to heal that, otherwise, you can keep receiving from heaven, or there's drinks and cakes and stuff at the back, uh, if you want to respond on either of those, just come and see me, I'd love to pray with you, wonderful, thanks so much, Jeremy. Also, if any of you've got a medical situation like Jeremy and Anne were sharing, uh, come and get Jeremy and Anne to pray with you. Pass on their impartation, their authority.
Don't forget, prophesy over Rosie and Connor.